Hello and welcome back to another episode of ICS CyberTalks. And today I have with me uh, Brigadier General Daniel Bren, which is also the co-founder and CEO of Futorio. Hi, Danny. Hello, everybody, to all our audiences and, and viewers. Danny, um, we'll start the same. Can you give us a short bio? So the audience can know you better before we start the questions. It would be my pleasure. Um, I had the privilege to deal with cybersecurity for the last 35 years, long before we used the term cyber. I started my journey like every 18-year-old uh, teenager in Israel serving in the IDF and found myself uh, throughout a very long career with very interesting uh, milestones, both in technical leadership uh, and operational roles. On my peak of my career, my last position, I was uh, assigned to establish, and uh, I was the first commander of the National and Joint Military uh, Cyber Defense Command. Let's start from there, and then we would move on. Uh, and my first question is, We are going to talk about regulation and directive. And one of the things that uh, you were building, actually with 10 fingers, <laughs> uh, was uh, the defense brigade, or brigade of uh, the IDF. And I think that one of the main jobs uh, of this uh, brigade was to set up a regulation for the IDF, which is regulation, cyber regulation, of course. Uh, and the question is, um, what are the concerns that are coming into fact when, when you start building a regulation? What, what are the things that you should point on, and especially when it was alongside with other governmental at the same time, I believe, um, all of you was doing uh, regulation around uh, critical infrastructure, but in the army, in the IDF, it was more than that. It was even for the IT and everything else. So you're sitting in a room, You're thinking about, okay, I need now to, to have some regulation around how it's working. It was a very unique experience because, as I said, almost 30 years of serving. I would say that somewhere until the late 1990s, early 2000s, the main cyber concern was data protection, confidentiality. And, and this, this is basically was the bread and butter of all um, militaries slash federal, federal uh, agencies. As the digital technology came into play and more and more of the operational uh, capabilities um, and combatant capabilities were starting to be highly dependent, not only on the IT systems, but also on the connectivity between them. IOT sensors, actuators, and, and you can just imagine what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
then we started seeing a movement towards what we call operational resiliency. So at the beginning, they were side by side. And then when you're at war, you need to balance and you need to make sure that the entire operational capability uh, is, is protected in a way that uh, it can serve to its purpose. Let me just open a parenthesis and give you an example. We just finished uh, another operation uh, around the Gaza Strip lately, and, and we've seen the Iron Dome at play. And Iron Dome is, is an actual example of an, I would say, an ICS oh, yeah. system. A lot of OT, SCADA, RTUs, IOTs, sensors, actuators come at play. Now, uh, it needs to uh, to be very accurate and and uh, in, in real time in real time so so it's highly sensitive to cyber attacks and and probably as, as it was written in the newspaper some of our enemies have tried to um, undermine the cap- this capability so 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 the first thing we needed to build a regulation that will take in in its basis what we want to achieve and it it was uh, resiliency or operational resiliency and which accuracy is built inside and availability and then confidentiality. This, this has been a challenge. Now, if you think about uh, modern militaries and the IDF, which is a, one of the strongest regional uh, militaries in the world, is was built years over years into silos. So you have the different... Uh, forces you have the air force the navy etc and and they have their their uh, organization built in so the regulation needed to reflect uh, a process that will take a industrial age military organization and and build a journey that will quite quickly bring it to a high resiliency type of uh, of measure uh, as, and as you said, in, uh, because the IDF carries basically two uh, missions. One is, so or the Cyber Defense Command within the IDF carried two missions. One is make sure that the operational resiliency or operational availability exists. But the other, the other one is uh, assist in defend the nation. Now, when we're looking at modern uh, affairs, so 20, 30, 40 years ago, the war was at the front. Now, not only in the in the missiles uh, arena, but also in cyber arena, the the home front becomes becomes the front the new frontier. So you see enemies, hackers, activists, uh, frenemies, basically attacking the public sector of the home front, uh, the digital public sector of the home front. We saw it in Ukraine. Right. In so, a so, very and, big... And, uh, and we see it from time to time and during conflicts or, or during uh, special occasion days. So I would say that they, say they, they basically f- faced the main challenge that a democracy will have. How you build digital resiliency without getting into organizations or, or or affecting that. So this is a very um, sensitive balance that you need to keep. Very so, complex as well. Uh, yes. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, this is something that you need to, to we, we needed to to, uh, to bridge because we've, we've seen more and more um, 
very potent uh, offensive capabilities in the hands of cyber criminals and um, not so friendly organization. Although Israel is very small in in our physical aspect, we are very developed in our digital aspect as hence we are very uh, sensitive there and 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 we needed to build between the different agencies and forces of the government, which is the military and the the other agencies to build a corporation of regulations both internal and external that will um, enable a sh- slowly but surely, Uh, building resilience in in our I would say economy one of the things that I was quite surprised is that the IDF was dealing with um, I would call it critical infrastructure from 2013 and I believe that the first directive was in the mid something like 2015 or 2016 which was something what that was very new um and I don't think that other places were thinking about it at all. You got into it in a very early stage. And this is very interesting because, you know, this is like uh, looking very far. Yes and no. If you think about that, the IDF or the cyber... The, Uh, cyber protection cyber defense capabilities within the IDF which some of them were established back in 1948 as the early days yeah so the the encryption uh, unit was basically established in 1948 we were dealing with with those type of of exercises but those were uh, I would say more confidential less than evident to the to the public now 2012 2013 uh, the world learned about Stuxnet and it was the first time I would say that uh, it came very clear to the general public that using a software code you can create a damage a physical damage what what we call today the cyber physical security yes back then I don't know how many rec- remember but the governments were starting to hunt for offensive capabilities that will be will have a sour physical uh, aspect to them so I would say that we did not have any and again it wasn't only the IDF it was also the National uh, Cyber Bureau and and the other agencies we didn't have any alternative rather than to pace ourselves and and build the the regulations and resiliency in place but as you know modern governments they take the time um, And hopefully uh, today we have uh, the level of security that is required for a modern economy like the State of Israel. It doesn't mean that this is 100% bulletproof. It means that by prioritization of the uh, of our potential impacts to the economy and to the well-being of the state and the, and the civilians, then we need to put our resources together. Uh, So sometimes I see people after a successful breach or an act by let's take um, this insurance company they look at the government and say and 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 ask for how did it happen so for the public se- sector unfortunately this is the public sector's responsibility you cannot come and 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 um, 
demand the government to protect those systems. It's it's undemocratic and 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 even uh, uh, in, in some cases not possible. So this is why governments should put regulations in place that force. And now, as we see digitalization entering more and more aspects of our lives, the regulation need to make sure that, um, or the regulators need to make sure that all of the uh, critical services, not only infrastructure already, yeah, and, of course. and those who may uh, affect the economy or the safety of people need to be well protected. On uh, January, um, the EU network and information uh, security, what we call the NIST2 uh, directive, uh, was taking place. After a long uh, time of working on it, and first I would like to, to understand because the NISTU is European, there are other uh, regulations which are in the US and other places. Um, can you give me, uh, and I know that you are well in those things, uh, an overview about uh, the situation, the status of uh, regulation uh, worldwide? Uh, who is uh, more in it, uh, more demanding than the others, and if there are others that need to do some changes into it? So it is a very interesting uh, situation that has been developing over the last two years. So NIS2 is a an update of NIS, the, the first regulation, and, and it takes, it, it covers more, uh, ter- uh, domains or uh, verticals that need to be covered. It strengthens the the regulators' uh, visibility in, in in the effectiveness of the regulation, and it it it, it puts in more security controls as need to to be taken. I would say that we see, and it it is very interesting. We see both in the EU and the United States two separate but um, uh, similarly developed. Uh, progresses uh, in the post-pandemic world. So in the United States, I think that it was uh, highly affected after several success, successful attacks, colonial pipeline being one of them. But we see that also getting not only through the... And it is highly um, pushed or or accelerated by the Biden administration, not only in putting the regulation in place, but also uh, financing projects to improve the overall resiliency. So I would say that basically it is uh, a measure that the, again, I'm not part of the American federal government, so so I can just estimate uh, the reason for that. I, I would believe that it is a major uh, preparedness step of uh, dealing with two cyber adversaries, and I'm not uh, prioritizing them because this is something that the American government should do and not me. One being the Chinese, uh, which is the, today, and I think that the Americans are putting them as their number one threat to the economy, and the other one being the Russians, and I don't need to explain too much uh, what is happening based on on the situation now in the Ukraine and between NATO yeah, and, and Russia. And and the same thing is happening in the in the EU because the United the European Union is highly dependent on the economy and 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 this is a manufacturing this is more traditional old old fashioned so so we've seen the uh, development of the NIS into the NIS two 
by covering more uh, mission critical in, uh, industries, food, pharma, transportation, and not only uh, critical infrastructure, etc. So everything that is, is in, involving or surrounding both the economy and the um the services that the public is 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 taking so let me give you as as an example if you take a pulp and paper uh production site so so they have they are create they are basically manufacturing also energy a lot of energy they're providing energy to the uh to the network and on the other hand they have also a lot of um wastewater chemicals if there will be a spillage of the chemical pond into the near river that is used to um, to cool down the heating systems uh, it will be a huge environmental damage if if something will will happen to the recovery boiler there will be losses in life so so expanding the regulation was in place and and strengthening not only a the paper but also the um uh, the governance and and being able to to measure the progress of of the organization in place uh and and the fact that you need now to uh contact the government and 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 prove that you are building either your uh resiliency in place or you need to to share if something has happened it also strengthens the Uh, the knowledge building between the different uh, members of the EU. So I, I think that those are two separated, disconnected uh, processes, but they are basically both accelerated, uh, have been accelerated in the same time. So um, just to summarize at, at this point about the regulation, it, and, and, and they also developed a lot of, of controls in place that they would like to see, and maybe we'll address that a little bit later. I believe that all um, Western economies and the foremost of the Western economies also also democracies need not only to build those type of regulations in place but also to cooperate between the different um, nations in order to be able to build in what I would call a global resiliency against the bad actors, the cyber criminals that usually come from Let's put it like that, not so democratic areas. Yeah. Um, one of the things is that there are two ways of taking regulation. Okay? First of all, nobody likes regulation. We would start with that. But uh, there are those that would do only what the regulation would ask and say, okay, I need to stand in the regulation. Here I am. That's it. The other part would would look at it and said, "Okay, this is my uh, jump start. I would take the regulation, I would put it on, but for me, it's the first step. You are connecting with a lot of customers. How they see it? So I think that this is a trend in change. Uh, those who are just want to tick the box, they still are going to tick the box, but As the regulator identified that, he put some emphasis also on the personal liability of the sea levels and the boards. So uh, this is one aspect. The second aspect is the fact that insurance companies have started uh, 
to reduce to increase the costs of insurance not only on the cyber chapter but also on the when you want to to insure your productivity and you are a digital digitalized uh, organization then they would say you have an OT security in place if you are not compliant to the regulations we are not going to insure you so those two type uh, those two um, I would say streams have started a, a a journey where organizations understand the dependency of their revenue streams and their insurance and their personal liability on the fact that they need to put a significant cybersecurity plan in place, OT and IT. Now, because of the, uh, the scarce resource of understanding how to put in place a proper or an appropriate uh, OT security plan, I think that the regulation that came in place both in Europe and in the United States have basically depicted the journey that you need to, 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 to go whether those are uh, going from a merely putting technology to assessing the risk and to assessing the exposure that an organization has and mitigating the risk before it turns into a breach and prioritizing them uh, prioritizing them according to the potential business impact or to deal safety uh, associated uh, damages um doing assessment on segmentation this is something that was not uh, very common on, all, on on other security controls how well you're defended on security controls um having in place incident uh, management protocols and tabletopping them being prepared to if something is is occurring and building other uh business continuity but most important and I think that it is coming to the to the first point that you you raised dashboarding and reporting for the C level to see basically where I am benchmarked relative to other partners in my industry or in my region and in 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 and how I'm benchmarked on on the regulation and what decisions I need to take now in order to improve the Uh, my resiliency or reduce uh, the associated risk to that and and enforcing those type of of uh, of capabilities into the organization now we see more and more organizations understanding that they can cannot continue and be under the just tick the box on one hand but they are running into knowledge and resource and problems when they want to address those type of uh, resource I mean uh, competence and skills and when they want to address those type of uh, problems in the last I believe two three years we heard about a uh, couple of uh, incidents uh, especially I believe in water plants uh, we had the one in Florida a couple of them in the UK and So we see that the the cyber crime um, whether if it is governmental or not because today uh, the cyber syndicate has enough power like governments it's not uh, like the old days that only the government have the power to do that and when I was speaking with, some of the people uh, that are dealing with that uh, 
in the US, uh, in the UK, uh, in Germany. The feeling is that they're saying, yeah, it's happened, but because of something. So it wasn't just, you know, like a regular ransomware that you are throwing away uh, 1,000 uh, vulnerabilities when, wherever you can and something would catch. I was saying, no, this was targeted. There was a reason for this being targeted. Now, I personally have a problem with this kind of thinking because I believe that it's the same. You are trying to go to the place or not I, but the, the, the cybercrime is trying to go to the places which are less secured because it's easier. And on the other hand, I don't see too much regulation that is taking care of those things. Maybe the NIST too now is taking care in, in the EU, in the States, if I don't wrong, there is nothing right now. No, there, there are there reasons, is? yes. So after Colonial Pipeline, they're starting to build regulations and TSA and CISAR mm-hmm. are, are generating a lot of regulations. So again, I, I, I would like to demystify this. Um, yes, most of those attacks were not nation-state sponsored, but they were targeted attacks because th- those were low-hanging fruit. It was cyber-criminal type of attack. Whether it starts with a spray casting the net and then it moves to a target or it's a, a targeted attack. We see more and more organizations and I'm, I, uh, are, I'm, that are basically susceptible or could be affected by a cyber attack, whether those this is going to be a direct one or a supply chain. Just last week, we heard that ABB was breached and then it needed to stop the services to all the OT environments that she is ma- that ABB is ma- managing. And, and this is not unique. Same thing happened, happened with SolarWinds. So, so we, we see more and more uh, supply chain type of attacks that, that basically at the end of the day penetrate the, the OT environments. And one of the reasons that the OT environments have been Identify as lucrative. First of all, they are the main revenue-driving engine of an organization. And secondly, they were, as I said, inherently, they were developed and built inherently insecure. So they are very easy uh, to attack. You said it before, and uh, we were talking about that in our preliminary uh, talk. Um, It was... um, You said that the, the OT attack is a risk to... The whole market with all the aspects. And that actually, if you are attacking OT with success, you're influencing the whole economy. It's not only, you know, this factory or uh, this uh, infrastructure or whatever. It's the total economy. Can you uh, explain more about it? Yes, but then I hope that I, w- on one hand, I will not scare people. On the other hand, I will not give some ideas to other people. But, <laughs> but let's take let's take a modern country, a modern city. Think about the that transportation 
uh, into a metropolitan start, starting with the airport, whether this is domestic or international, then the transportation system, everything is a converged ITOT, IoT type of environment. So if I can cease this operation and, and I can create or safety re- issues or I can uh, create a significant disturbance. Let's talk about supply chain, uh, especially that was um, expedited after the pandemic or post-pandemic. Today, you have smart warehouses that uh, you, in pharmacies, you, you, you basically bring your recipe and a robot will will uh, bring you the the drug and, and put the uh, the ticket including the doctors so so there are multiple ways that uh, a successful attack on a converged modern environment would uh, have an impact on our lives it's not just you know critical infrastructure electricity I, I gave the example of of a smart manufacturing like uh, so so th- think about that two three five years from now we'll see the autonomous pulp mill or paper mill that that will run almost without any uh, man intervention and 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 having a very high temperature very high pressure um, and very uh, risky environmental uh, hazards in in place that that can be released just by a successful attack or breach i would say that uh this poses a significant threat to our economy and our daily um, life today we see a lot of um transactions or uh automation between manufacturing finance um, transportation and we are trying to automate everything it's good for the the business uh, for uh, the revenue line for the uh, the gross profit and more and more factories are getting into it Uh, what we called in the past uh, the industry 4.0 today they're talking 4.55 a lot of numbers can we keep the security in a good level when we are running to open our systems yes because we don't have any other option and and um When you ask me about my career, I started with the 30 years that I did with the Israeli Defense Forces and five years ago, a little bit more than five years ago, uh, my my partner and co-founder, the CTO, Yair Attar, and myself have uh, started Otorio with our joint venture partner, Enritz, an automation engineering uh, group from Austria. So so we, we understood that exactly the world is expediting into autonomous vehicles. You can call it again industry 4.0 5.0 whatever it will go there um, and the same concepts that basically are driving industry 4.0 need to drive the protection uh, of of those uh, environments so I would say first of all take a risk-based approach like you are doing risk-based maintenance today identify the gaps and exposures and mitigate them 
put a lot of uh, simplification and automation into the process. Take a lot of data, put engines in place, and, and Otorio, the company, we've just been awarded the cyber digital uh, twin patent in the United States, taking identifying automatically the risks and, and uh, basically prioritizing them according to the safety or business-related impacts and providing a very simple, feasible, leveraging the existing security controls mitigation playbook in order to address this. So, so the same concepts that are driving uh, the innovation need and should drive the, the protection. And, and while you're leveraging the same type of concepts, approach, and technology into place, you can be always, uh, I won't say one step ahead of the adversary, at least, but one step ahead of your neighbor, and he will be the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> well, one of the things that I'm uh, talking a lot uh, when I'm uh, talking with CISOs is that in a way, uh, CISO would always would come with the concept of no. We want to do that, no, because this is a risk. We want to do that, no, because it's a risk. And on the other end, I'm trying to explain that the business is the main issue, not the security. So all the perspective should be Yes, but how can I do that? And you're talking about one of your tools that is doing a risk assessment uh, all the time that is giving you the picture. Um, is it built on-prem and cloud as well? Because 4.0, it's a lot about going out to the cloud. All the time we are trying, well, for years, we were trying to gap everything, to say, no, everything is in a gap. We're not going out. Nobody's going in. And now you're coming with the optimization systems, which are usually on the cloud. And you need to drive a lot of information out and to get information in. How you deal with that? especially in the OT environment? It is a journey. And I would say that I cannot even categorize uh, by verticals slash geographies. There are, there are uh, areas where the government is not allowing you to take the data out or the, the organization. So our solution basically supports all three options. It can be cloud-driven, it can be on-prem, and it can be hybrid. And and we we've developed a platform, a very uh, um, structured platform to support the from the same by the same concept that you said about what the CISO needs to do to support basically the customer needs and the customer requirements. Having said that, we see a development and we see more and more customers going to the clouds, whether those are private clouds or there are uh, unique uh, public, but. We, uh, with unique uh, safety controls in place. So, so from Motorola's perspective, we are here to support our customers and provide them with the best protection that they, and they can have on their operational environments. And we can do that according to their architecture. 
But I would like, yes, to address something that you, you just mentioned uh, before about the CISO. So as we've seen in other domains, I would say the evolution of the risk officer. I think that uh, CISOs that are part of the more traditional industrial age that uh, think that everything can be built by, uh, can be protected by building very high walls um, are suddenly being replaced by CISOs that understand that they are part of the business and they're, they're, they, they should be like the immunity system that we have in our bodies. Each and every day, minute, hour, we are surrounded by germs or bacteria or viruses. And, and we are continuing to operate and do very incredible things. And our, our immunity system basically defends or protects our body and, and, and uh, operational capabilities. So I would say the same thing needs to apply to an organization. So the CISO needs to change their mindset then and start to understand that first of all, it's no a it's not a building the wall type of and it's not just a technology. So I had a very interesting discussion with with one of our uh partners two weeks ago and, and they said, Yeah, we need the detection and re, uh, response capability. And I said, Okay, do you have a SOC 24-7 SOC that is operating? And said no. So I said, so why do you need the technology? Because the technology by itself will not do the of uh, the system. So so the CISOs need to understand that they need to 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 take a different approach and 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 develop themselves to uh, you you call that the yes but how I would say to understand that they are part of the business development group and they just have a competency around cybersecurity. The new tools that are dealing with uh, the cybersecurity for OT. Um, and I would get here uh, to uh, a better definition. Uh, the old tools were ideas, like give me the option of detecting, don't touch anything, uh, especially don't make any move that would uh, take down my uh, line. And today we are we start to see that there are also prevention, which two or three years ago it was like a bad word, you know, nobody's getting into it. No uh, COO would uh, accept that a machine would stop anything without his permission. But in uh, the new age of the tools, we see also prevention. Um, I don't know, and I'm sorry for that, if Fotora is doing prevention, but how you see it? So we're not doing prevention, and we're <laughs> so 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 we're doing protection in, in in prevention, but we're not doing enforcement of prevention. Okay, and the reason for that is the sensitivity and criticality of those environments, and and. As much as I am confident, and we have a, even a, a uh, metrics that shows the level of confidence in our uh, mitigation, as I'm as confident that we provide the most accurate and, and responsible mitigation steps, I think that this is not yet proven and developed enough uh, to be uh, enforced automatically without uh, any validation by it. so what we will do we are providing a very concrete short list of of protection or uh, prevention uh, mechanisms 
And somebody needs to look at that and acknowledge it. Uh, so we are not f- con- completing the... So it's not full automated, but still it's you are giving all the information right. for the one that should get the right. decision. So we are doing all the hard work and, hard, uh, and, and heavy lifting of, of analyzing, triaging automatically, providing you with, uh, with the outcome. And then you need just to make sure that it makes sense and, and validate it. So, so I, I believe that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we'll see more autonomous uh, operation and enforcement getting into the place. But uh, I, I don't, I don't, under, I don't believe that the both the operational environments and the technology are uh, mature enough to do that. So let's go to the new buzz. AI, <laughs> because we can't get out of it, you know, until one year ago, if you are a startup, you had the word cyber inside, you're in a good place. Today, well, at least my feeling is that you must have cyber, but also you must have the AI inside. Now, it's not only words. It's a lot of capabilities that are uh, taking place. Um, I don't show that people understand how much you need to train the system. Um, we used to call it uh, the neutron network in the past. And, but we see it getting uh, more and more. Uh, Chat GPT is not part of it, but it's part of the AI. Now, the question is, um, A, do you have part of it? Do you have AI in your system that are learning all the time? And more than that, do you have a way um, to gather information from a lot of places? It's a training for your next version. I hope that I was clear. Yes. So before that, I would like to start with, I, I read yesterday a very interesting article in one of the uh, leading Israeli newspapers, Iton Aretz. And um, the uh, professor from the Weizmann Institute said that basically we, we have a understanding of the AI, um, whether it's OpenAI, open uh, GPT or others, we have a an understanding of that as we have on the human brain, a very, very, very limited understanding of what is happening there. So uh, leveraging AI or slash open AI is one example, can benefit in a lot of ways to each and every organization and company, and maybe I'll address that in a second. Uh, we, we do not leverage that into our systems for many reasons. But we do leverage uh, the the technology wherever it makes sense to ex- expedite uh, the development and our capabilities, or to enhance uh, significantly the human brain capacity in in the development. Uh, it's not only training, but it's also asking the right questions. So, so is oh, that yeah. is that a technology changing um, tool? Yes, definitely. It will have a 
tremendous impact on, on, on our lives in the next years. Are we leveraging that uh, to, to do whatever is uh, possible? Yes. Do we use that as part of the engines? No. Um, and again, and, and today I read another interesting article. So they, one of, of uh, a colleague of mine, he posted it on LinkedIn. He was one of the leading intelligence officers in the, in the IDF. Basically, they took uh, three operational scenarios. Uh, the week before the 73 war, the, the week before uh, the Japanese assault on uh, Pearl Harbor, and then an a, uh, imaginary scenario. And they provided that with the inf- information. And there, they, they ran multiple scenarios, and their uh, basically outcome said that it cannot be a decision-making tool, but it definitely would have changed the the discussion around the table, both in the American government or the Israeli government, uh, regarding the possibility of a Japanese-slash-Egyptian assault uh, in the following days. So I would say that this is going to be... Def- and think about it, you, you were just... Uh, asking about cybersecurity or other aspects, you didn't think about ChatGPT being sitting in a strategic discussion of the government of Israel when when they're dealing with a uh, strategic security risk. So, so yes, I think that it is, is going to fundamentally change the way that we are going to do our businesses. Cybersecurity is going to be one of them. We're talking about cyber war. This is uh, the definition today for the main war because soldiers, guns, and everything probably would do less damage than uh, what you can do with cyber, and you were talking about it uh, before. I'm trying to, to get some imagination over here, but in the end, it would be Two machines that are fighting each other. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So 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 um, I think that there were I, I, there was a uh, a short video that showed that two AI machines were talking to each other until they started talking in 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 a new language that nobody understood. So so somewhere along the path, I believe that it will be something like that because it's. Um, Machine-machine interaction. What is more concerning is that those machines will be connected to vital operations that uh, of human uh, behavior, and and uh, it looks like science fiction today, maybe for some. Uh, although there were some, there were in the past some Hollywood movies about that. Terminator is an example. Um, I think that this is this is basically reality. If we are not going to do and 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 put the right uh, measures in place, um, we shouldn't stop progress, but we should do that uh, eye opened and and with response responsibility. There are a lot of people that are talking and there is a big movement right now about putting regulation on the AI. 
especially I believe because they are seeing a bit more far and we know that what was 10 years ago science fiction today is uh, quite real or even that what we saw in uh, films that is looking like science fiction actually probably in the reality there are something that is more crazy than that how you feel with that uh, you you think we need to put some regulation on that so regardless if we if i think if we need or not uh what the history has learned has teached us is that uh progress was not stopped by regulation so let's take encryption until the 80s 90s governments were enforcing the level of encryption that an organization yeah, or can use it. and this is because they could uh, decrypt to a certain extent but then progress came and you couldn't stop that. It was a demand coming from the market unless you were a, in a non-democratic country. And the second thing uh, that we need to take in consideration that regulation basically is for the, the public. It is for the public sector. Uh, in the high security or high clearance labs, they will continue to develop those type of capabilities. Uh, which when they will proliferate like other things, uh, they will have a, a an impact on our lives. So, so ransomware is a spillage of an ancient state capability. And um, it was a leak. And some argue, I don't know if it's correct or not, that, that the the COVID virus is a leak from a lab. So even if they will regulate that and this, and the governments will build this AI capability, there is a potential of a leak. And then regardless of regulations, we will all be <laughs> affected by that. Yeah, so, regulation are not uh, insurance for nothing. Yes. So I, I, I didn't want to alarm everybody. Uh, there are multiple positive aspects to, to AI and in medicine, in, in other areas, and I hope that we'll find a way to harvest the best and, and contain the, uh, the worst. Nani, we came to the end, and um, you already know how it's working, so what you would like our audience to take from uh, this uh, discussion? Don't be concerned with OT cybersecurity. Assume the responsibility Take the right vendors slash partners, build capabilities, assess the risk and manage it like we are doing in every other aspect. If I, if I want to uh, demystify OT cybersecurity, it's not rocket science. It is a, and it is a, a complex but manageable problem. Great. Danny, thank you very much for your time. Thank you as always. It has been a pleasure. pleasure. Thank, thank you. you.